Dragged into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 31 of Breaking Bats, presented to you by Not For Long Media. I'm your host, Brian O'Grady, with me. As always, my co-host, Justin Ayers. J.A., what's going on in Maryland, dude? I'm trying to get myself back into baseball mode, to be honest. You know, this weekend, obviously, college football, first week of NFL, first NFL Sunday. So I feel like a lot of people might be in the same boat as I am, where it's like, you know, you block off those two days on your calendar each week and you're, you're deep into football. But it's like middle of the week, nothing else going on. I got the, the Mariners and the Padres on in the background when we're taping this. They were just showing our, you know, hopefully friend of the pod, Joe Ryan for the Twins, throwing a no-no through seven and that got taken out. So, um it's it's been an interesting night, so a uh, lot lot going around uh, in the game of baseball, and I'm excited to break it all break it all down. But yeah, shout out Joe Ryan. Just yeah, it's, it's a good point about the good point about football there too. It's uh, you know I love football season, but it's still baseball time, and it's getting into the you know the pressure games here. So we gotta we gotta keep rolling. And yeah, Joey threw really well tonight. Good for him. Um. Guess they didn't like where the pitch count was at. Pitch count was at, but exactly. Shout out to him. Great work, Joe. Hopefully, get this, him on here soon. If this was the '70s, they would have let him. Th- they would let him go 150 pitches. And that's why it always bothers me because it's like, well, those guys could do it, and they had nothing like talking about you know nutrition and strength and conditioning. A little foreshadow there. Uh, those guys didn't have any of that, and they were throwing 150 pitches on a four-man rotation. So, um, you know. Why can't we bring that back? Let's let's get let's get that train rolling because you know we were robbed of a, a no hitter tonight. Could have been, we could have been. We'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, but we do know that this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Psalm Sleep. <laughs> Are you having trouble getting enough sleep at night? Psalm Sleep has you covered. The scientifically advanced Psalm snack includes ingredients that are naturally found in your body, like GABA, magnesium, and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery, and it has helped people everywhere take their game to the next level. It's simple. All you have to do is drink one serving just 30 minutes before you go to bed, and your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements leave you feeling groggy in the morning, not Psalm Sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day. Go to GetSom.com, click Shop, and enter the code BATS. That's B-A-T-S at checkout for 10% off your entire order of Psalm Sleep. Uh, we have a lot of news to talk about this week. It's It's been a very news-heavy cycle for this past you know a couple days here in major league baseball i want to start though with something that happened on friday and you know i, I wish we could have done an instant reaction pod because i've been waiting to hear your take on this uh there's been three new rules so the recently formed joint competition committee they voted on friday three new rules aimed at improving pace of play action and safety at the major league level i'm going to run through them really quickly for you then we'll get your take there will be now be a 30 second timer between batters so we have a pitch clock between pitches, there's going to be a 15-second timer with the bases empty. With guys on, you'll get five extra seconds. So that'll be a 20-second timer. Um, it's funny, though. I was like, what, what happens if you break that rule? Pitchers who violate that timer, they're charged with an automatic ball. And if you're a batter and you're too slow getting up there or whatever, you get charged with an automatic strike. So uh, that's that's a fun little wrinkle we'll have to keep track of. The second one is the now no more shifts. 
The defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield, at least two on each side of second base. And the fun part is, is that you have to have your feet on the dirt at all times. Um, they, there's like certain things like you can, you can't have, uh, you can have an outfielder come in. I think you can't have four outfielders. You can't have four outfielders playing the outfield, but you can have an outfielder in the infield, I think. So yeah, that, that's gonna be interesting to follow. The last one is one that didn't really make sense at first, but it kind of makes a lot more sense now is that the bigger bases, uh, the bases have traditionally been 15 inches square. They're now going to be 18 inches square. And it's going to create a four and a half inch reduction in the distance between first and second base and second to third, trying to get more stolen bases in the game. Some more action steals have been down the last I think, 20 years. Uh, a lot of stuff going on there. So bigger bases, no infield shifts and pitch clocks. Uh, Brian, when you, when you heard all that last week, what, what was your take? I, ah, uh, some of it fine some of it i hate it's you know starting with the clock uh it's been like that in the minor leagues for a while so i played with that it's fine it's i don't think it's going to make that big of a difference i don't think it's necessary to implement it but you know playing in those games i don't i don't think it makes that big of a difference like they're like they're saying it is um some guys who are super slow on the mound or whatever, it'll speed them up for sure. Or getting in the box, definitely. But in general, like, you know, the biggest thing time-wise, in my opinion, and the difference between Japan and America is when the inning switches, like in between innings. Here in Japan, the guys get max five pitches in between innings, and they're literally, like with two outs, they're, th- they're like – on the side of the field playing catch to be ready. So like the in between innings takes a max of like a minute and 45 seconds to get playing again. Like I like if I'm leading off an inning, I don't even have enough time to like run in from the field and pee and be back and ready to hit by the time they're ready to go. Like it's so fast. It's crazy. In America, that don't happen because they have the commercials and whatever other shit they got to do in between innings. So they take longer. So right there, you're already messing up time. But, and I saw a clip of Otto talking about it, you know, people get used to the, the clock. I, I don't think players like it because they, it feels like there's putting, you know, you're putting a timer on the game and there's no need to do that, which I agree with, but it'll be fine. The big question is, like you said, and I've seen it happen, is will the umps, and my guess is in the beginning they will, will the umps really stick hard line to the timing? You know, as soon as that clock hits zero, are they calling a ball? Or if the batter's not, if, if you know, fucking Mike Trout's not in the box with eight seconds, are you calling a strike on – on Mike Trout, you know, things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they do it. I, I would think in the beginning, they're going to be hard notes about it to make the point, but, or if it's a, you know, if it's a really big situation, are you going to make that call? If it's the first inning, okay, maybe they feel fine doing it. If it's the ninth inning and, t- and you know, teams down one run, and Aaron judge is up and he's got two strikes on him. Are you going to, you going to ring him up that third strike right there? I, in New York, I mean, I don't think so, but we'll see what happens there. The other thing that in, in the minor leagues that I, <clears throat> happened with all this was 
the pitchers, they were on the mound and the, the, the time was running down for them to get their sign and, and uh, make their pitch. They just step off. They just step off the mound and then get and then the clock resets and they get back and they get back on and do it again. So I'm sure that's going to be used by pitchers in the big leagues. Um, the hitters can ask for time, but I'm sure the ops will probably deny it. So maybe the pitchers will still have a, a slight advantage there, but you know, it is what it is. I, I'm not too upset about the the clock. I feel like that that's been coming no matter what was was happening and, I hope, I hope it saves time. I don't think it's going to be anything that that's so significant that it's going to make people who wouldn't watch baseball, watch baseball all of a sudden, you know, but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I don't, the shift and you're talking to a guy who's gotten screwed by the shift for years now. Um, I don't know how many hits it's taken away from me that I see these, you know, right-handed hitters get these ground balls, go through this, you know, the infield. I can't. I can't buy one to go through the infield, but I. I don't. I don't like that they're telling teams where they can play their players if they feel that this way is going to help them win. You know, I. I, I think if you if you believe that you it, like you see teams with a runner on third, like the game's on the line, they bring that outfielder into the infield playing like in the middle that can't happen anymore I'm not, I don't even know if that ever has worked but I'm just saying like those ideas that if we do this it gives us our best opportunity to win I don't think the league should be telling you you can't do that so I, I don't I don't like that rule even though it'll it'll probably help me out which is cool I like I like hits but uh, I don't I don't like that but if it – at the same time, if it makes offense go up and, and there's some more hits there and some more action, I can see how that's definitely beneficial and, and how that will make me happier as a player. So, as a hitter, at least. I don't know what the pitchers. But it will – I will <laughs> – I can't wait now to see pitchers because you see plenty of them complain when the shift is on that this ball was a hit because of the shift and they get pissed because it's a you know, it's a routine ground ball or whatever it is. And it's a, it's a hit. Well, I can't wait now for when they, they can't have the shift and to see how mad they get when uh, a ground ball gets through, that would be a hit or whatever it is, or a smoke line drive that would be an out is now, is now a hit. But I, I Votto said something too about this. Uh, it takes away from, you know, seeing some of the ability of other guys to uh, play the outfield and right field or like Acuna playing right field and things like that, which I get to. But, you know, you're not going to see Manny Machado tracking down a ball on the, the warning track and in, in right field anymore, which was which was Dang always it. pretty fun. Him laying out on the warning track and right field. That was cool. Playing third base, uh, standing four feet away from me as I'm catching a pop up. But. It is, again, it is what it is. I'm not a fan of that one, but I, I see the benefits and I will gladly take more hits. The bases, I, every inch counts clearly. And now with all we do with replay, it all makes a difference. 
because we sit there and stare at it for a minute to figure out if they're actually safe or not. But uh, I think bases are a little ridiculous too because people aren't stealing because they, it, it goes back to Moneyball. Like they told him to stop stealing. Billy Bean told him to stop stealing a Moneyball because he gets paid to get on base, not get thrown out. So it's – there's no value in, in, in getting thrown out trying to steal. So you have your fast guys, but pitchers are quick to the plate and catchers are really good throwing them all down the second. So I don't know how much more it's, it's going to change the stealing aspect, maybe tied in with the shift. There's more runners on base and, and you get more opportunities now. Maybe, maybe it will. I hope it does, but I think the shit <laughs> bases are a little ridiculous to me, but Hey, Whatever, whatever they want to do, that's that's fine. I actually like the bigger bases. At first, when this came out, I was like, "That's stupid. What the hell is? What is that even going to do?" But I'm thinking more about it. It's not even just like the stolen base thing. It's like when guys are over sliding off the base at second when they're trying to slide head first and they got like a toe hanging on. That'll help some of those guys out. So that'll be good for the game. I also think in the injury realm, like guys running down first baseline super hard. And then they they get step they step on or you know collisions or whatever. I think it's going to make it a lot easier for guys to navigate that. And as a former first baseman, I mean, like I would have thought you'd be all for that. Like, have you ever had your your ankle stepped up on or like have you ever seen like the the play at first where the guys are getting all banged up because you know the, the first baseman's positioning his back foot in the middle of the base for some reason? I mean that that's that's got to help that right? Yeah, my. Uh... I've gotten my foot stepped on twice and it was by the same guy in the same game. So, uh, in college. So I don't think that was on me. I don't think that was on me. I think that was intentional. And I let that be known at the time. That was a good one. Uh, never in pro ball have I had my foot stepped on as a first base. I mean, sure. There's like weird plays that could maybe cause you to mess up where your feet are, like trying to be moving and stuff and, and something could happen. But in general, with your footwork, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be happening. Um, unless of course somebody wants to step on your foot, but I don't really think that happens too much in professional baseball, but there's, yeah, I, I, I get the, the injury thing, uh, giving the guys a little more room to work. Nothing wrong with that. I, I can definitely understand that part. And then the shifts thing too, I was, I was watching MLB network and they were talking about it. It might've been Tom Verducci had a piece about it where it was like, guys are trying to hit the ball like at a higher launch angle to hit it over the shift. And he said that that has a direct correlation to strikeouts or something. I, I think we've this, we might've even had this conversation on here before guys trying to hit homers, kind of the same thing. Um, but I mean like a third of the outcomes in this game are not even the ball's not even in play. So it's like, yeah, I, I would enjoy seeing some more hits and um, you know, you can get creative with it. Like, you know, you can't have six people on the one side of the infield anymore, but you can put you can put them in better spots. Like if we can track like spray charts, why can't we have the second baseman and shortstop? And you know how why can't everybody on the infield be positioned better, but just not have ten people on the same side? Like we can still do that. That'll be fine. No, no I I I agree with that totally, and I hope there's more hits. But this is it's not people aren't going to start trying to hit ground balls now. Like that's not going to happen. They're not. It doesn't. They're not just trying to hit homers. They're trying to hit line drives. So the thought that, you know, we're going to get more ground ball hits, you're still not. You're going to have more than you did with the shift from left-handed hitter. But 
this is what most people don't understand and reporters fucking included is that a ground ball in the major leagues is an out. Like it almost, it doesn't even matter how hard you hit it. It, the majority of the time it's an out because the guys who play infield in the major leagues are so fucking good at fielding, at getting to and fielding ground balls that it doesn't matter. You see Jim Carlos Stanton hits a ball 119 miles an hour and it's a ground ball and he's out. And I, people don't comprehend how hard that ball is coming at the third baseman. And it does, it's done out. So yes, lefties are going to benefit from, from some ground balls that get through some hard, you know, like low line drives or whatever it is, but in general, it's not going to totally change how the game's played. You know, Tony Gwynn's not going to be coming back and slapping balls through that, through that hole. It's, Well, them. I said this. I said that before. There's only one. Of, there's only one of him. There's there's not a ton of Tony Gwynn's rolling around. You can't you can't just <laughs> make make that change and ex- expect Joey Gallo to, to turn into that. I mean, the guy was one of the best ever. Like, it's not it's not happening. Can't make me do that. I'm I don't have that ability. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's valid point. And then the last thing I'll say on this is that the pitch timer, I do feel like that'll help. Uh, you know, it'll help the people that are already watching the game. It's not going to bring in the new people. Like they talked about baseball in the last 20 years has lost like 10 million viewers or something. It was some stupid high number like that. Like those people aren't going to turn on their local whatever game because it's like, oh, they're you know, the pitch. We got a pitch clock now. You know, we're going to save seven minutes. Oh. Sweetie, get the kids in here. We're watching the uh, the Orioles tonight. It's not it's not going to work like that. Uh, but for the people that are diehards and the people that watch it on a regular basis, it would be nice to not see a pitcher take forty five seconds in between pitches anymore. So uh, from that aspect, you know, however small, I do appreciate that they're they're trying to make it a little bit more tolerable because the, the pace of play has been an issue for a while, and the average length of game being over three hours is. I know baseball, you can't put a clock on it, but like there's things we could do to make it a, a little bit better. And, you know, that's that's all we're trying to do. Incrementally better, like 3% better, you know, then we'll be good. I don't know if you feel the same way as the player. I, did, but I agree with that. It's I Maybe the players no, won't I agree like with it that and less time in the outfield to scratch yourself. So maybe that would be the only downside. <laughs> no, it's... I agree with that. And here you see it. I see it here in Japan too. Sometimes when you get guys don't leave the box, they swing and they're just ready to go again. And you get a pitcher who is fast too, who literally just catches it, gets right back on the mound. And I swear they'll, they'll throw six pitches in like 12 seconds. I've seen it. It's, it's pretty, I, I think John boy had a breakdown of this, like way earlier in the year i forget if it was pro or if it was like a high school thing but they they, they literally threw like 12 it was like a 12 pitch at bat and it was like 16 seconds like they were just like the two of them were just, it was just like catch the ball throw the ball and the batter was just ready to go the whole like it's just non-stop that's not going to happen in the major leagues but i get the where they're trying to go with it a little bit there so that's that's insane rapid fire baseball would be that that should be a, a different sport just be like bing 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 um but you know what? Like I said, let's just let's just try to keep moving, keep changing. I don't like change. I'm very resistant, but I feel like these three, not that bad. So uh, it's still it's still gonna be baseball for the most part, um, unless you're a purist, and then I don't know what to tell you. But um, yeah, so that was that was the three new rules. They're coming into effect next year. 
So we have, you know, only a couple more months of, of, of non-pure baseball before everything gets flipped on its head or whatever. Um, a couple more things in the news category. The crazy Mariners-Braves game on Sunday, I feel like we had to talk about that. It was an intense back-and-forth game. It culminated in an Eugenio Suarez walk-off home run. It felt like a World Series game. Braves, Mariners, it could end up being the World Series this year. I, I feel like those are two teams that are very, very good. Um, just as a quick recap, so the Braves erased a five-run deficit. They had three big homers in the final two innings. Um, and then Julio Rodriguez and then Suarez homered off Kenley Jansen in the bottom of the ninth to give them an 8-7 win. They're so close, the Mariners are, to getting their first playoff burst since 2001. Like I'm watching, like I said, I'm watching the game now. I cannot wait. The city of Seattle is going to show out. Can you imagine? Like I think it's T-Mobile Park or whatever. Like that place is going to be bumping in the playoffs. And Julio Rodriguez is batting like 500 in his last seven games. Like when you when you think about this team for the playoffs, like they have their superstar, they have some great guys. Obviously, Adam Frazier. Um, does this feel like a team you think that can make a deep postseason run? Absolutely. I said this to be you know beginning of the season. I think they're I think they're really good as a whole. I think Julio Rodriguez is phenomenal. Um, their bullpen's throwing really well. They're they're a good team, man. They're and they're they're hot right now. I don't know any any team that would would want to see them in a playoff series right now. The way they're the way they're playing, they're when it comes to the playoffs, man. Anything can happen, and the team who's who's rolling usually keeps rolling. So the Mariners are definitely a scary team. As of right now, as of taping this, they're they're tied for the top wild card spot. So they're tied for the number one wild card spot with the Blue Jays. Um, this is a couple. This is maybe a day or so old, but they have a ninety nine point eight percent chance of making the playoffs. They have a four percent chance of making the World or to win the World Series. And like I said, T Mobile Park was sold out uh, all weekend. So that's just it's a great atmosphere up there in Seattle. Um, the other thing with this one, the Braves, uh, you know, a little shaky coming into the playoffs time here. Uh, they lost three in a row. They still have that top wild card spot, but Kenley Jansen blowing saves like this in September does that does that was that worry you for a playoff run when you have your supposed lockdown closer? Is I mean, I looked at his last his last seven games. He's zero and two with an eleven ERA. In his last fifteen games, he has a five and a half. Like, does that does that does that worry you if you're a Braves fan? Yeah, a little bit, but you know those numbers get blown up because he. He blows two of those saves, I'm assuming, with that record. And, you know, he doesn't record many outs. So the ERA and stuff gets out of whack pretty quick. But it's never good seeing him seeing him blow saves. Uh, he hasn't been dominant all year. So you, you don't love that either. Uh, and he, he has a little bit of a history of where he kind of got off track. But – you know they brought him over there for a reason. I feel like you got to, and he's and he's been there in the playoffs, and and he's won, and he's done it. So I feel like you gotta you gotta roll with him a little bit. That's a scary thing we we're talking about playoffs. Is like everything can be going right, and then if you're closer, if the one guy on the team isn't like isn't pitching the like as he should or as he's you know normally doing, then you know obviously your, your season will get derailed there. But yeah, they have a couple other options like Rossiel Iglesias in their bullpen. Um, it'll be curious to see like how they, how long of a leash they give him or if they just like blanket, you know, you're our guy, figure it out. So, um, you know, some, some interesting to follow with Atlanta there in the back end of the bullpen. The other thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, the Blue Jays and the Rays series. 
that uh, has been going on the last couple days. It's been electric. Uh, the Blue Jays had a dramatic come-from-behind win on, t- on Monday. Bo Bichette, I mean, this guy is red hot right now. I, I don't think anybody on, on planet Earth, maybe maybe Mike Trout with his, with his homer streak or, or judge or whatever, but, I mean, Bo Bichette, he, he's batting 500 with six home runs in his last seven games. Um, but the, with the Blue Jays, I just, every time I look on Twitter, they're always trying to get into a fist fight with the other team. They're always spilling out of the, <laughs> always spilling out of the dugout. Um, like, so I'll take it back on Monday. It was like Barrios, um, or Bo Bichette was hit by Javi Guerra. And then Jose Barrios hits the first batter up with the second pitch, which I love. It's like, don't make it blatantly obvious. Just, you know, second pitch of the at-bat will drill you. Um, and then the Blue Jays interim manager, John Schneider, came out of the dugout and wanted to fight everybody. And he who's drawing back and forth, the Rays pitching coach. Um, very, very chippy. The, the Blue Jays and the Rays, like, but I mean, you probably don't want it any other way, right? That's those are two AL East teams. No love lost. Is that is that the best way to describe the Blue Jays and the Rays? You think? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. And that's you're right. I love it. I think it, it makes it more interesting. They're battling it out, but you know, I don't. You get mad protecting your guy, um, Bichette getting hit up and in. Uh, Javi Guerra doesn't have the best control. He throws hard. So I don't think he did that on purpose. I was, I was there in Tampa when the whole, you know, I got a, a whole stable of guys that throw a hundred more with the Yankees was, was going on. Um, I don't, I don't see them throwing at anybody on purpose, honestly. So I, I think, like I said, Gara, that ball just got away. Blue Jays are pissed because, Bichette's their guy anyway, but like you said, he's also been the hottest hitter on the planet. So um, maybe they think they're trying to mess with him a little bit there. And then the re- you know the reaction, Barrios hitting Mejia. Barrios reacted like you know he didn't mean to hit him. It wasn't like a hit him and kind of stand there and you know whatever. It was like a right away. He was kind of like doing this shit like I didn't mean to so either he didn't mean to or he was trying to hide it which it looked like to me it looked like he didn't mean to but obviously Rays get mad Blue Jays yeah the chirping you know from the manager there he knows the Rays aren't gonna you know Snides isn't gonna run over from the the Rays dugout to, to his dugout so he can say whatever he wants from there it's it's all show it's all whatever I like the intensity. I like the chippiness of it, but uh, I don't think anything was intentional there. There was a, a game last week against the Orioles where there was a guy in the Orioles bullpen who used to be on the Blue Jays, and he was kind of jawing with the Blue Jays dugout. He's like, yeah, 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 keep talking. And then just the dugout spilled out again. So it's, I don't know, maybe maybe because John Schneider is the interim manager. Maybe he's like, I want to show that the I'm fighting for my guys. Maybe, maybe he's angling for a, a job, a permanent job. So... I just, I swear to God, every time I look at a, at a Blue Jays game, he's trying to get into a fist fight with somebody. So, um, you know, that's, it's so much fun watching those, uh, watching those two teams go at it. So right now, um, they, they split a doubleheader today, Tampa and Toronto did. So Toronto is a half game up on Tampa for the, you know, the first wild card spot. I don't know, there's a log jam up there at the top, and I don't think the Orioles are getting back into it. So uh, it's pretty much just going to be Seattle, Toronto, and Tampa figuring out what the, the AL wild card is going to be like. Which is great because you know those are all very very good teams, um, 
All right. Uh, so next up for you guys. Uh, I was watching MLB Network tonight, as I do most nights, and they were talking about the LA Angels and the debacle that they have with their their team being as bad as they are. Um, I mean, the Angels right now they're sixty one and eighty one, and they're like one of the worst teams in baseball. But they have two of the best players in baseball, which you know try to make sense of that. But uh, they were talking about whether or not they should trade Otani and Trout, um, especially with Otani. Like, you know, they're gonna have to sign him to a new contract, which is probably be forty plus mil a year. And Trout just had this seven game homer streak, and he's there forever. It's just, do you feel bad, like for the Angels, like you know, or for Trout and Otani in particular, where it's like, you know, the, they have these two best players, they always lose these games by double digits. It feels like, um, if you're, would you try to get the most value you can and deal one, if if not both of those guys? I do feel bad for the Angels because they did try to go for it, and it just has failed horrifically somehow. I don't even really understand how. I feel bad for – I don't really feel bad for Trout and Otani, but I feel bad for Trout and Otani that they keep playing on teams that are not very good. I feel bad. Trout has been hurt, and he's still, like, just the best. He, now he gets overshadowed because his team stinks – He's got Otani on his team and because he was hurt, but he still is just so good. It's not even funny. Do you trade them? I mean, if you trade, I could see them trading Otani because I don't think there's any way they re-sign him. I don't know where he goes, but Trout, if you trade Trout, I I feel like that's just – like the city's, you know, going to burn down. Like there's going to be no fans there. If they, if they get rid of trout, it's like, and it might, and it might make sense from the organization's perspective to get something back and, you know, reboot this whole thing and see, just get it started. Uh, but I don't, I don't know what kind of message it sends to the fans. And obviously trout would have to be on board with it. And, uh, give it the okay and, and all that. So I don't know, man, they're, they're like cursed or something. It's a tough time out there in Anaheim. Yeah. It's, they have been going through a lot and I just, I, th- I was thinking cause like, yeah, Trout has been hurt. He had, he had a, was that rare back condition uh, is like his T5 vertebrae or something where it's like super rare and people are like, Oh, is this, is this going to be career ending? And what does he do? Homer's in a week straight. So He's he's carrying that team on his back, and that's how he heard it, probably. Um, no, that's he, he obviously yeah, but yeah, I I don't know. It's it's a weird predicament, um, and I I don't I hope they figured out this off season. I hope they I hope they trade Otani at least because the package that you can get for that guy, I mean, a sub three on the mound, thirty plus homer power at the plate, like they're gonna whatever the Juan Soto trade was, whatever you thought of that, like. It's, it's got to be way more than that if you're getting Otani. Even even one year of Otani, you probably are still giving up the, the whole entire farm. But, um, you know, again, another offseason topic that we'll have to keep an eye on. Uh, there's going to be a lot of them. So um, next up for you guys, we have our fudging awesome moment of the week. Fudging awesome moment of the week is brought to you by our sponsor, The Original Fudge Kitchen. You can find them at the uh, Fudge Kitchens with an S.com. The ship sweet treats and fudge all over the country summer's coming to an end but if you still find yourself down the shore for our philly and jersey listeners 
They have locations in Ocean City, North Wildwood, Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Cape May. So go check them out. It's the original Fudge Kitchen, and you can find them at fudgekitchens with an S.com. So our fudging awesome moment of the week this week, uh, it has to do with Albert Pujols. He, he had his 697th home run in Pittsburgh the other day. Uh, and there's a couple, Matt and Samantha Brown, they caught the ball. Samantha's father, unfortunately, passed away one year ago that day. And so they met up with Albert after the game. They're like, hey, here, here's your ball back. It means a lot to you. Uh, and then Pujols told the family to keep it. And then he signed two more for them. And he told the family that would mean the ball would mean more to her than to him. So I thought that was a really, really classy move by, by Albert there. 697. We're, we're getting close to that 700 mark. Uh, they, they're just putting him in the lineup every single day, it feels like, which is great. Um, you know, he, he's really, I think they have like 20 ish games left. We get, we gotta, we gotta get Albert his 700th home run. We can't, we, what if he retired with that 699? We talked about that, but it's, that would be, that would be tragic if, if that happens. So, uh, we're going to keep rooting for, for Albert to hit homers there out in St. Louis. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's a classy gesture on his part. No, no, it's awesome. Love it. Great story. Uh, really cool that he signed some more balls for him too. And yeah, I'd love to see him hit 700. I don't want to don't want to see him stop and have that uh, tough decision on his hands there. Got to get the 700. So hopefully, hopefully it works out. Uh, and last but not least, this week, uh, in honor of our guest, who you know, we're we talking about him here in a second. Uh, we're gonna be doing the top five players you'd want on your side during a tug of war. So we're we're gonna assemble our, our tug of war teams. This is just basically who are the most jacked people in the big leagues that you'd want yanking that rope and trying to drag him across the other side. So uh, I will start us off with number five. I'm going with the polar bear, Pete Alonzo. Uh, we've talked about him a lot in these kind of strength top of uh, top fives, but I feel like he would be a great anchor. Same thing with my number four pick. It's Rowdy Telez. <laughs> Rowdy Telez is built. He's, he's built for a tug of war. That's He's built to hit homers and to be very, very strong. So he's number four. Number three, you have to have Aaron Judge. I mean, any – any of these strength, you know, competitions that we're putting together with baseball players, you got to have judge. Number two is going to be Giancarlo Stanton. Like, I, you know, the only person in the big leagues who could probably rival judge in pure strength. But that's not to say that my number one wouldn't do that. My number one pick would be Tyler O'Neill of the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know if, you, if you've seen Tyler O'Neill's biceps. It's all curls. It's curls for the girls. It is. His biceps are gigantic. I, I don't know how I don't know how he's done that, but he's just one of the most most jacked players there is. Uh, so I want I want Tyler O'Neill up front during my 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 tug of war. Um, it's a solid list. I'm curious to see who uh, which jacked dudes you have in yours. Well, I'll start with with Tyler O'Neill because he's on mine too. I played with Ty in the fall league in '16. He is a specimen. His dad was Mister Canada. Uh, he is definitely strong. Um, good athlete too, good player, but he's definitely, definitely in there. He would, he, he would, he would go lift at like LA fitness after games because he just, that's what he liked to do. He's like a legit bodybuilder. So O'Neal's definitely in there. Uh, from there I have Jorge Alfaro I believe his, uh, his nickname is like the bear or some shit. So it sounds like he'd be good at tug of war. I'll throw him in there. And then number f- number four or number three, I guess, is going to be Paul Goldschmidt, probably your MVP, your NL MVP. Big dude. Got next to him on first base, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this dude's large. Uh, so he's in there. Number two, Bryce Harper. 
still big dude, strong dude. Um, definitely want him on my team. And the number one might be the sneakiest number one in the whole league is going to be Yandy Diaz of the Tampa Bay Rays. Legitimately the biggest biceps I've ever seen in baseball. Uh, I think he beats Dan Ugla for his forearms and, and his biceps. So, uh, Yandy loves his his bicep curls, and he's a pretty big dude too. So I'm gonna put Yandy in there. Honorable mention. I, I was looking at like you know people have compiled the the lists of, of the most jack players in baseball. Is Michael Lorenzen? Is does he does he fit that too? I feel like his arms might be bigger than everybody else's on these lists. Yeah, he's 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 very strong. He's in very good shape. He's uh very disciplined with all that stuff. So he yeah, Lorenzen's definitely up there too he's got some he's got some good biceps yeah i mean that's that. <laughs> mikey biceps i think is his nickname so <laughs> damn it i should have put him on mine oh well um so that Maybe is that time. is our top five be sure to check it out and vote on the on the breaking bats pod instagram page on fridays we post them um you know we're gonna get back to to brian beating me in these top fives we can't just be having me putting up solo numbies we gotta we gotta put these things head to head um so uh, one last thing, but then we'll set up our interview for this week. Uh, we wanted to give a shout out to our friend of the podcast. It is a company called Actions Over Words. They're an apparel brand with the mission of encouraging people to use their actions instead of their words. Founded in Cape May, New Jersey by Alec Levin, who's a fantastic dude. Uh, they donate $5 of every sale to different charities around the world. Check them out at actionsoverwordsapparel.com. Use the code N4L for 10% off your order of tees, hats, hoodies, and more. So uh, we, we tease this a little bit with our, with our strength top five, but uh, let, I, want, I want you to set up our guest for this week. Yeah, our guest this week is the Phillies director of strength and conditioning performance. God, I can't remember all his, all his titles, nutrition in there. Uh, my buddy Morgan Gregory. So basically he is the head strength coach for the Philadelphia Phillies um, and everything else that comes with that title. He's, been my personal lifting coach and you know gives me all my workouts and everything for the last probably six years at least now uh i had him as, as a coach in the minor leagues with the reds um as i worked my way up and, and he's worked his way up to uh you know to being the head guy now so awesome stuff he's in great shape he knows what he's talking about uh i would not have Gotten to where I am without him. He's helped me a ton. Great dude. Uh, obviously, it's really cool to – to very smart and very thorough, as, as you'll hear on here um, with all that stuff. But he's working with the best, man. He's working with, uh, you know, all those guys that you see out there for the Philadelphia Phillies, um, helping them stay healthy and, and achieve, you know, whatever it is they, they're trying to achieve on the field. So, it's a really interesting one. We haven't had anybody like him on here yet. So I was really glad um, to get him on here and, and listen to everything he had to say. I enjoyed that, this conversation a lot. I mean, he, brought, he brings a unique perspective. It's kind of like that, the Justin Sue interview we have where it's, you're right. It's a little bit different. It's not a player. Um, I looked up his full title, by the way, he is the director of strength conditioning and nutrition. Um, so mo mostly the first two, I, I think he said he was not big. <laughs> I think there's people that do the nutrition part, but um yeah, I mean, like you said, it was very, very in-depth, great conversations about like, you know, there's there's a lot of questions that like people from my perspective would have about like, can you be too strong to play baseball and and kind of like stuff along that lines, which he answered in, you know, a fantastic way. So uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I feel like as a team, the Phillies might be 
I feel like a, a Phillies tug of war team will probably beat all of the 29 teams. I'm just going to throw that out there. They got some pretty big dudes over there. So they, uh, they might, but yeah, he's, uh, he's great. He knows what he's doing and a uh, great dude along with it too. So let's send it over to our interview with uh, Morgan Gregory. Joining us today on breaking bats is the Phillies strength coach. Morgan Gregory, my good friend, had him with the Reds a long time ago, and I didn't do his full job title right there just to bother him a little bit, but he'll always be a strength coach to me. Morgan, what's up, buddy? Thank you for joining us. How's it going, man? Not much, man. I tell you what, no matter where my title goes, no matter whatever I'm called, I'm always going to feel like uh, a Daytona Beach strength coach uh, in my heart, you know, so that's that's where – you and I first started working out, working together, but, uh, but yeah, my title right now is the director of strength and conditioning and nutrition. It's got a lot of bells and whistles to it, but I think the biggest part of, uh, of what I do is the managing the strength, conditioning, and nutrition for the major league team. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're pretty much right about that. It's a lot of bells and whistles. I didn't realize the nutrition part was in there too. That's, that's another step up. I mean, not that you don't know your nutrition. I just didn't know that was added to it. Well, the great part about being called director of is I don't have to know anything about it. So I can bring on people who know a lot about it. So I've got two dietitians who are pretty outstanding who answer all of my questions. And then people look at me and say, well, what, what should I eat? What should I do this? You know, because they think I might know. I just push them on to them. They, they make me seem a lot smarter than I am. I had six questions about what I should eat. So, all right, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I can give you, I can give you a pretty good little, uh, I can fake it pretty well as Brian, as Brian will tell you, I can fake it pretty well. Justin, you can't, I mean, Morgan, I don't believe Morgan is a registered dietitian, but I could be wrong about that. I am not, He's not a registered dietitian. That's the thing. However, I certified strength conditioning coach, but not a registered dietitian. That's, I'm far from that. He's a CSSC, but he is not an RD, but CSCS. There we go. Damn, it was close. I always get I always get that mixed up. Oh, <laughs> uh, but if yeah, I mean the guy can tell you what you need to eat. He's uh he's a little soft, but he's he's a smart dude. Don't let him don't let him fool you. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's why we get along so well, Brian. We're both a little soft, I think. Not me, not me. Jay, don't listen to him. But let's start with. <clears throat> Before we, before our little stories, how did you get in to baseball? Where'd you go to school? You played in college. How did this all kind of start for you? Yeah, I played at a, a small Division II college in East Tennessee called Carson Newman College, Carson Newman University. Now they've changed, changed over, and um, I, I really wasn't very, wasn't very good, but I, I worked, uh, I worked pretty hard. You know, I really wanted to be good. Um, and so I, to kind of make a long story a little bit shorter, when I got to college, I thought baseball was going to be it for me. I was just going to play baseball forever because I didn't really have a good feeling for how difficult or how involved that really was. Uh, and so as my college career was going and I was kind of getting the picture that I, that wasn't going to be the case, I really thought about the things that I like to do, the things that I was good at. Because at the time I was a business management major and I, I didn't want to do anything when it came to that. I just, it was one of those things where I just picked it because it was there. And then my advisor at the time got a hold of me and said, well, what do you like to do? What do you, 
good at? And I said, well, I like playing baseball. I like playing ping pong and I like lifting weights. And she was like, is that all you like to do? I'm like, yes, yeah, that's all I like to do. So she sent me over to the PE teacher's um, office and the PE teacher said, well, you know, what, what type of kids do you like to work with? You like to work with young kids or old kids? I said, I don't, I don't like working with kids. Uh, so sent me to the exercise science office and me and the exercise science uh, director got along very well. And so I started doing that and I thought, man, okay, being a strength, being a strength and conditioning coach in a college, that's where I want to be. Cause I didn't really think about there being a possibility of there being anything else. And so once I got out of college, I started working for a place called D1 sports training, which is a, a franchise out uh, private sector training facility that works with all different types of sports, does boot camp classes and that type of thing. And as I was doing that job, I just realized that I, I wanted to be involved in more of a team-based type of uh, environment, uh, more of one direction and, and, and how it is we're going versus having a bunch of different sports, different levels, um, adults, children, these different types of things. And so I was fortunate enough to be at a facility that was partially owned by Dr. Krimchak, who is the team doctor for the Cincinnati Reds. And so he brought me down, introduced me to the head strength coach at the time, who's Matt Kraus, uh, who's the president of the PBSCCS, which is the uh, society that oversees all of the strength conditioning coaches in baseball. And I uh, was lucky enough to get an internship with the Reds. And I was coming fresh off of an intern or like a volunteership with uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. So I thought possibly being in the NFL was something I'd wanted to do. And so after my first year with the Reds, I was talking with the Bengals. I was talking with the Reds about what I wanted to do. And at the time, one of my mentors, who was the assistant strength coach for the Bengals, says, well, you know, in the next 10 years, where do you see yourself in a major league dugout or an NFL sideline if it works out? And I thought on that pretty hard and, and thought, you know, on the chance that I get the opportunity to be in a major league dugout, that's really where I want to be. And so that's where I started. Um, that's where I started this whole journey. And um, one of the things that he said to me, which resonated a lot was just wherever you go, be willing to say yes to anything. Just be willing to, to, to do all of the things that that particular opportunity will, will allow for. And I think that's a large part of the reason why I've been able to, to progress through where I am currently, because my first year as an intern with the Reds, you know, they asked if I wanted to come to Instructs. And of course, yes, I want to come to Instructs. So I came to Instructs and was able to meet a lot of people that I wasn't able to meet just during the year. And while Instructs may be very difficult as a player, it is great as a strength coach because everything's a little bit slower than spring training. It's a little bit slower than the season because we're not trying to really you know, push these guys eight months after spring training, you know, eight months after they've done spring training and the season, everything like that. So it gave me an opportunity to let everything slow down as a 22 year old strength coach. I needed that. And then the next year they asked me if I wanted to go to the Dominican to start out the year and kind of help open that, that camp up. So I said yes to that. And then, you know, two years later, they asked if I wanted to do the rehab. And so just saying yes to all these things kind of opened up my, my bandwidth for opportunities and, it's allowed me to see a lot of different things, be a part of a lot of different things, which is kind of scoped where I am today. You know, having seen all of these things leading up to where I am, it gives me a pretty good appreciation and knowledge base for where it is these players come from, what situations. And I get that everybody's a little bit different, but at least I've seen some of these things. It's kind of helped me build a frame of reference for all of these guys.
Absolutely. That is, uh, that is a whole lot of different stuff. And your, your Spanish is top notch. Well, that's one of those things. If you don't use it, you lose it. And I've spent a little <laughs> bit too long outside of, of being a Latin American coordinator. I still have a lot of players who, uh, who, who give me a little bit of trash because I don't, my accent's very bad. Uh, but I understand a whole lot more than I, uh, than I can speak. So when a player comes out and rattles off a bunch of things at me, I typically have a clue of what he just said. Responding to him, that's a little bit different of a story. But I tell you what, here's the thing is, if you drop me off in the middle of Boca Chica, Dominican Republic, I can get around and I can order food. Those are the two biggest things. That's too funny. Good old, good old DR. Yeah. It was you always like fun it. going down there. Dude, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was there. I, uh, playing winter ball, but well, I went to the right? Reds. No, I was in Australia's and then I was in Agulhas. So I was in, um, San Pedro and then, uh, what? Oh my God, Santiago. But when I was in San Pedro, um, Joel Naboa, who runs the, or did run, I don't know if he still does, used to run um, the Reds complex down there. I was very close with him. And when I was practicing, they they let me go to the Reds complex and play to get ready. So I was at the Reds complex down there. I took the, took the yellow school bus with no back door to the, uh, I think the Texas Rangers little facility there where, the, you know, two guards were sitting there with shotguns and oh, yeah. uh, played – Played on the backfields there, so I've I've done it. Yeah, I've, I've it's had, good time. I've had some. Awesome I loved time. I loved the Dominican. I did. Yeah, I've had some awesome times there. I've had some. Awesome I had a. Time. I've almost died maybe three times there, and I've just had some <laughs> great times. Who hasn't, right? You you can't driving. You just you just don't look down. I mean, I don't know if you drove there, but when I was being driven, I just after about a day, I quickly realized I was like, all right, my face is just buried in my phone and that's the end of it. Yeah. So funny, funny enough, um, just real quick. So I was riding there with our director of athletic training, Patrick service, and uh, we're getting onto the interstate and this guy was going a little bit slow. So he just sped around him and, and the DR not, not everywhere. Like in America, there's, there's not medians to every single road. So he drove onto the oncoming traffic part and it was very quickly. We realized all the cars were coming at, <laughs> at us and we weren't moving with traffic. So we were now on the bridge, we're on an interstate bridge into oncoming traffic going the wrong way. And so I, you know, he kind of pulled a, a sweet little maneuver around one car, you turned it almost off the side of the, the bridge to get onto the other side. And then we almost got sideswiped by a, a gigantic cement truck on the way back out. So it was, you know what? You just never know what you're gonna get there. And that's the fun part. Uh, it just keeps you on your toes. Made it out alive, which that's the big thing. <laughs> Definitely keeps you on your toes, but we'll fast forward. All right, so all that happens, and then did we – what year did we meet? Was it 2014 in Instructs, or was it oh, after that? It was in strength camp. Um, I believe in strength camp preseason of 2015. 15. Yeah, 2015. And then later that year, so I did, still didn't know you very well. Uh, and then later that year, you came to Daytona Beach and I was in Daytona Beach and you were on quite the tear. 
And so uh, my first real experience with, with you, Brian, was you telling me that you needed to get a lift in. I said, okay, I'll be at the ballpark at a whatever time. And I walk into the weight room and you're in the middle of your lift already, which at the time with where I was and where the organization was, was a big no-no for you to just be lifting off by yourself. And that was what you were doing. So that was kind of the beginning of, uh, of you and me getting to know each other. And then it was when we really got to know each other a lot better was the next year in strength camp uh, where you and I had some up and downs. If you remember, um, you know, that's where I, I really started to grow an appreciation for you. And I give you a lot of hell, you know, I try to, I try not to compliment you too much. Um, so this will come <laughs> off a little bit strange, but the thing I always really liked about you is that, you know, in baseball, what we'll run into is a lot of players who want to be good or want to win but they want to be good and they want to win in their way. They, they have the concept of how they want to do it and that it, everything needs to be based on that. And then from there we can build. And the thing I always enjoyed about Brian is that he was very open to, to doing things in different ways. He, it was not always that has to be my way. I, we have to win in my way. We have to, I have to get better in my way. And so it really helped me as a strength coach get a feel for what the limits or what really, you know, we could do, what we could accomplish together. And I think that's why we got along so well. Um, but funny enough, in, in that strength camp, we were doing a um, obstacle course and Brian's <laughs> team was behind. And it was one person goes through the obstacles, comes back, tags the next guy and the next, next person goes. And Brian's team was, was pretty far behind. And then Brian team they, they as they pull closer to winning brian's the last guy against another guy I forget who you're going against and then brian starts to go and starts to overtake this guy to win and i forget what the stakes were but they're always something pretty fun if you win and pretty not fun if you lose and going over the last set of hurdles you had to jump with two feet and brian starts galloping with one foot one foot like this i know you probably disagree with that and so when he crosses the line he had won he you know he had past the guy and so both teams are screaming one team screaming because they think they won one team screaming because they want me to call a foul on brian for going two one foot over and i decided in that moment that i'm just going to call it so i called it and said you know i waved off the win for brian's team and i uh i called the win for the other team and man alive brian <laughs> brian was so mad everybody <laughs> on the team was so mad i believe in the next part of that workout you walked through the whole thing you were so angry and I remember getting really close to your face and just saying you you can decide right now what you want to do how you want to do it and you made your call and I thought it was pretty cool and it was, it was one of my more fond uh, memories uh, of what what is we're doing just kind of giving that to the crowd of of all right you know, this is the call I'm going to make and how everybody's going to how everybody's going to react which is the greatest part, you know, we were talking about Phil Irvin earlier and that was when he told me, <laughs> this is the reason why I don't run hard is because when I do nothing good happens. <laughs> so, Oh man, that was a, that strength camp was a, a special year. That was fun. That was, that had to be, um, and that was Blandino was in that you were in that and, and Phil was in that it was a, it was a fun time. There's so, there's so much there that I have to talk about, but the, I was hoping you were going to, you were going to remember Phil's line. Cause I'll never forget that as long. I'll never forget 
him yelling that entire time <laughs> as long as I live because for how mad I was in JA, I cannot tell you how mad I was. Phil, I was like actually laughing because of what Phil was saying. That's how funny it was. <laughs> but, you know, from your time, you know, you were an outfielder when it first started and then, you know, five years later, four years later, when I'm, you know, guest up in the major leagues, I remember the first time I got to personally be with you in the major leagues, we were in Arizona and, and uh, you guys were in Arizona and you were in the big league team playing the Diamondbacks. And I got to come down to the stadium. And I remember, I believe that night you were starting at first base. I think Joe was getting a day off and I think you were starting at first base. And that I just thought that was so cool, you know, at the highest level, the highest level where the stakes are the highest, they tell you, you know, hey, you're going to go play this position. And yeah, you know, you're, you're very athletic and, you, you know, you can do it. But to be to at the end of the day, it's very difficult to switch that type of thing at the highest level because no position is easy. This isn't little league where you can find a way to hide somebody in a different position. So to, to do that at the highest level and to be as open to it and as, as um, eager to, to take the opportunity, that that's something that's it's pretty rare. It doesn't grow on trees, that's for sure. And, um, you know, to watch you be able to do that in the major leagues and be successful in the grand scheme of things. I mean, that's that's pretty rare. It's pretty awesome. First of all, J.A., you got to understand strength camp is like six weeks before spring training. It is. I mean, we worked our asses off. Like it was, it's, it's not easy. It was uh, then obviously designed that way. Um, so, you know, these competitions, like I was fucking dead. Like I was about to have a, felt like I was about to have a heart attack, you know, finishing like that. But uh, I don't remember in, in the moment, like you being too mad at me at the time. I remember, I won't mention the other name. I remember, the other strength coach who was there was not very happy. And um, yeah, that was, that was not good, but fast forward. We uh, next day, JA, I, I apologized for, for what I did. Um, like a man, you know, I, <laughs> even though, even though we were, my team was wrongly accused <laughs> and, and lost, but yes, the best part, of all of that was Phil Irvin without a doubt. <laughs> I think the, I think the exact line was, this is why I don't run hard to first because they, they call me out, even though I'm safe. Something, something yeah. along those lines was, yeah. was what came out of Phil's mouth, which is hysterical, but yeah, uh, I don't, I don't yeah, think I was camp. There. You don't think you was there? What? I, no, I wasn't very mad. I wasn't mad at all. Uh, I don't think I've ever really no, mad at you. Keep like, your cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was I wasn't mad. I I understood. You do. I understood what uh, how infuriating that call had to be, and for either team, you know, whichever way I was going to decide to go. But yeah, I wasn't very mad at all. I understand, and that's the thing about when I first got into um, professional baseball is I decided at the very outset that I was going to treat everybody like a professional, like uh, a colleague, and not uh, a coach player you know where you're talking down to somebody you know because I, I really don't think that that plays once you start paying somebody to do something it doesn't matter what you're paying them so treating everybody like a, a professional I think that's something I decided to do a long time ago and it served me pretty well 
because in that scenario, you know, I have to understand that you're a competitor and um, you're, you're paid to be a competitor. So however that, that rears its head, ugly or otherwise, that's just the way it is. And, and uh, you know, being accepting of that is kind of, excuse me, help me be a lot more, uh, a lot happier in my job than, than always trying to force feed somebody something and be upset when they don't do it exactly the way that I want them to do it. That's very well said there, but I have to say, Jay, he's making it sound like we like didn't like each other or something or don't like each other now. And that's just, that's not true. So we fast forward. I, yeah, I start the year in, in low a, I played pretty well. So halfway through the season, I went to high a where Daytona Morgan was the strength coach for that team. And the team was like we were saying before we started recording was uh, a lot of guys were on that team, a lot of prospects, um, good amount of future big leaguers and a lot of guys who were, you know, big prospects, maybe didn't end up making it or whatever. But I realized for me at the time, I was more of just kind of like uh, meathead, like just like typical, like bodybuilder kind of lifting guy. Cause that's just what I did. I don't know. And it worked. And uh, as I got to be around Morgan more and more, and we would talk about all sorts of things, Morgan's the one who got me to change what I was doing to be less meatheadish, still meathead, but less meatheadish and more geared towards baseball and being an athlete in general. Um, and never looked back. So Morgan be like, Hey, let's try this. And that, that's what I would do. And I just started listening to whatever he would tell me to do. And I did it with great results and still Morgan is the best and will give me workouts all the time. He yeah. still does, even though I'm in a different country. And, but I do think like for me personally, and I know I've told you this before that like there was, two big changes in my career. One was, you know, my approach to hitting and what I was doing there, but another was how I went about my workouts and all the things I was doing. And that was really you with all that. So I'm very thankful and appreciative for all these experiences we've had together. Yeah, no, I appreciate that too. That means a lot to me, man. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, I don't want to step on the, the heels of any questions you guys are going to ask, but that's, a lot of the evolution of, of me as a strength coach in the, in the 10 years that I've been in professional baseball, um, that was a turning point for me too. Um, when I first got into baseball, everything was a bit based on the outcome of the, of the workouts, um, how it affected the players physically. <clears throat> so, you know, in the evolution of just strength conditioning in baseball over the last 10 years, when I first got in, everything was, was in small little vacuums in, in the different sectors of where it is we were. So in the weight room, we brought in an athlete and then we assess them based on different tests, however you want to do things, whether if it's FMS or grip strength or back in the day, you know, sit and reach tests or whatever, whatever it is, we assess them and then we figure out, all right, this is what their deficits are on the assessments that we are doing in the weight room. And then we predicate a program that's based on just what it is these people are doing in the weight room. And then so we say this person's not moving well on this test, so we need to get this better. And there isn't very much connection. There wasn't very much connection to what it is we were doing in the weight room and how it affected their performance on the field. And so as the next few years went along, 
and I got more enamored with what it is these players were trying to actually do on the field. Yeah, we all get that they're trying to swing a bat and throw a baseball or pitch or field or, or run or whatever it is. But everybody is going to be a little bit different. The way that Brian does things, the way that uh, somebody else does things, a catcher, a pitcher, an outfielder, somebody who steals bases a lot, somebody who hits a lot of home runs, the, how they choose to do things is vastly individual. And so it really started to turn into not the outcome of the program and how it affected this athlete just on a physical level, right? You know, did they get stronger? Or are they more flexible, mobile, you know, are they able to lift more weight? It's now, you know, it, it's trending or it's, it's really morphed into what it is we're doing in these programs that directly affects how it is they are trying to execute on the baseball field. And that's a turn that started to happen during that 2015, 16, 17 range where uh, I was transitioning into becoming a, a minor league strength conditioning coordinator with the Reds. And then beyond that is a player now, it's not only those things, but how a player engages with that program. And that's kind of one of the more powerful things, especially for a guy like Brian, who doesn't um, combat a lot of things. And, and when you, you say, I believe this is going to help you, you know, he, he's very bought in or, or players are very bought in. That's the easy, those are the easy players trying to, to convince a player who may think, well, this isn't going to help me at all, or I don't see where this is going to help me. That's now a large piece of the puzzle too, is having the engagement of the player in the fact that what we're doing will help you on the field or what the, what we're going to do will benefit you not only in the short term, but the long term. because ultimately if you can piece together the best program imaginable and the player is not bought in and doesn't believe that it's going to work, that intention that the player lacks going into what it is they're doing, whether it is uh, a strength conditioning task, or if it's a hitting drill or whatever it is, it's not going to be as effective or possibly not effective at all, no matter how good it is. And that's kind of an evolution that I've taken over the last 10 years is going from the small little room and how the small little weight room in how this program will affect you physically on our tests or screens to how it is this program is going to affect you on the baseball field to how this program hits you as an athlete and how we all believe that it will help you on, on the baseball field. And that's where the concept of integration comes in between all the staffs around the players. Because, you know, for a guy like Brian, if, if I'm on the same page with the athletic trainer who's on the same page with the hitting coach who's on the same page with the defensive coach who's on the same page with how he's going to be used from the manager standpoint, who's on the same page with the front office and how they believe that Brian is going to affect this team or whichever player is going to affect this team moving forward. If we're all on that same page, it gives us all the opportunity to create one avenue for this player to move forward on. And we can all help shuttle this player onto this avenue and have him, you know, go in this different, go in this direction versus having, you know, different, those different aspects around the player saying different things. And now this player is trying to pick and choose what he feels like is going to help him. And that puts the player on an island, which is a very dangerous player, very dangerous place for the player to be. Because the last thing you want is for a player to think me versus them, them being the organization, me being the player. It's a very dangerous place for the player to be. And, and to be honest with you, in my estimation, it's not a place conducive for winning, not winning for the player and not winning for, for the organization, for the group of players to take the field and think, we're down here and them, they, the organization is over there. 
And what that does is not only puts the players on the island and the organization on the island, but it puts all the people who work with the player in between this island in a struggle point of, you know, player says, well, hey, I think this, I think that. And the organization says, well, we think differently. And then if you've got to stand in the middle and pick sides, that then creates a struggle that's very difficult to win. And, and again, that's one of the largest reasons why I, I enjoy the Phillies organization and why I'm here is because we're really trying to eliminate that, those two islands and the struggle in the middle uh, and really become one, one, uh, one just massive you know, island and, and traveling down the same avenue together. That's going to be, I think, the, the way that we can win now and in the future and, and for years to come. That's all really well said, and there's a lot there, but I want to – we'll talk about me real quick specifically because then I want to I want to let J.A. ask you his stuff because I think, you know, a lot of people who listen to this will have no idea and will have a lot of the same questions that, that he does. So – but just as an example, you know, for – I mean, your general philosophy, but, like, for me in the offseason, what would a, a, a normal lift – day be for me in the off season to give people an idea yeah in in the off season a normal lift day for you would be um you know we would do a pretty extensive warm-up mo mobility activation type of uh, circuit especially for for a guy like you who's a little bit stronger you know a little bit tighter bound up so we're not you know not to say that it's too bad because obviously you're, you're pretty athletic but um, we would do an activation type of warm-up that would take anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes that specifically targets what it is that you are deficient in when it comes to which lifts we're about to do, right? So if it's going to be a hingey type of lift versus a squatty type of lift, it might be more of a thoracic mid-back type of deal versus a squat workout would be more of a, a hips and ankles type of uh, mobility activation exercise. And then you would get into the meat and potatoes of your lift. Um, and that would be four to five core movements with some accessory built in and uh, a lot of plyometrics, especially, especially for you. Um, and that will be built into the, the meat of the workout. And then to finish the workout, we typically would finish off with some type of accessory work um, that could be that could be the arm farm. That could be just some lower body uh, exercises that hammer in the core exercises and the main concepts of what it is we're trying to accomplish with those. And then we'd finish off with some type of sprint work or agility work, um, all typically pre-baseball work, uh, especially depending on the, the phase of the, the off-season, right? If we're in the beginning of the off-season, definitely want this work to happen before the baseball work. Towards the end of the off-season, I'm cool with the flip um, because that typically what you do first in the day will, will take precedence over much else. Um, so, I think for, especially for how you are being an outfielder, we prioritize sprinting quite a bit um, because that's one of your calling cards is being able to, to play various, um, various positions in the outfield and be quick on the bases. So making sure that you are constantly maintaining and progressing in your speed and agility work uh, was always a focus for us in the off seasons. Uh, and I think that's, that's pretty much, um, one of the things that you did a really good job of is adhering to those facets of the program and really not letting anything go by the wayside. That's probably one of the hardest things when a player goes, okay, well, I'll do, I'll do the lift and I'll do the agilities, but I don't have time for the mobility part. So uh, making sure that we're able to fit all of that into one session, 
I think is, is important. Yeah, it, it it sounds like it sounds way more complicated than it you know that it does when we just talk about it. When you when you say all of that, there it sounds like it's a whole lot. And I guess it is a little bit. Maybe I'm just used to it. But for most people listening, that's like uh, you know when you talk about the lift, it'd be like some sort of a deadlift, a hinge, a deadlift, uh, some sort of squat, a push, a pull. So like bench or pull ups, uh, and then usually a farmer's carry, Justin. So that would be like, roughly speaking, the easiest way to put the actual lift. But let's let J.A. get in here with with his uh, with his questions so that the people listening maybe can get a better idea of, of what we're talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, all this is, is super fascinating. You, you mentioned something earlier that and that's like the, the stages that like you're working with these guys, you're, you're catching guys at different stages of life. You're catching the, the 20, 21 year old guy. That's a top prospect, but you're also working with guys that have been in the league 10, 15 years. So everybody's kind of at different stages of where they're at, like physically and, you know, like strength program wise. But like, I'm curious, like, and you might've even touched on this a little bit earlier. It's like, what's your feeling out process? Like what, what's the, you know, I'm going to start working with a new player, how I'm going to, you know, get up to speed with where he's at, what his goals are. Like, how do you kind of feel that out? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. The That's also changed over the time that I've been in, in baseball. I'd say to begin with, and, and something that is still a, a very large pillar in what I do, is getting onto the player's level as well. Um, because all those things that you just mentioned, you know, 15 years in the major leagues versus first year in professional baseball, everyone is at a different place with their concept of how it is they're going to get better, how it is they're going to utilize performance training um, to, to affect their baseball game. So really getting to know the player and not, not allowing their personality to be a stopgap into what it is that I'm trying to do. And by that, I mean, if I don't know this player and I haven't taken an opportunity to, to really speak with this player and get to know where this player has come from, where they want to be, where they feel like they can go, uh, then I'm really not doing a service to any program I could write for them. So that's first and foremost is getting to know the player and to be honest with you, involving the player in what it is that I'm doing. At no point do I just bark a program out to a player because I know best. It has more to do with involving the player into the program. And that's the way that we can really create a buy-in is because these programs aren't mine, they're ours. Right. We create an us with and that's the, the thing, uh, what I was talking about by getting to know the players. I create an us with the player instead of me saying this is your program and there being a me part and then a, a him part. There is it's us. So the program is a success. We are successful. The program is unsuccessful. We are not successful and we can reassess and move forward. And beyond that, I think it's important now that. I have all of the inputs from the people around him. What does he profile out on the, from the athletic training side? What are the deficits that we find there? From a mental performance side, what does the, the mental performance team see that, that can help what is the, his program is going to be all about? From, and, it's, and the most important part, from the baseball side, what are the things that this player is working on? For the guy who's been in the major leagues for 15 years, maybe it's small little adjustments. Maybe it's remembering to do things. Maybe it's getting back to something that he was doing five years ago that he's not doing anymore. But for the, the new draft guy, it may be these whole sweeping swing changes that he has never expected to do before. And now we 
as the organization need to foster an environment for him to be able to do those both safely and successfully. So I think getting to where this player is, getting to his level, wherever that level that may be, and then working with all of the different people around this player to come up with the one direction this player is trying to go. As we talked about earlier, having a player trying to move in different directions is not a very, not a very efficient way to move forward. Right? If we're trying to move forward with certain types of things, having every person around him understand that avenue and all be trying to accomplish that avenue together, that is going to be one of the, not only the best ways to get the player to that place, but for the player to buy into why it is he's going to that place. That's fascinating. Have you, have you noticed any similarities to like some of the younger guys that are coming up through the, like to the majors now where it's like, you know, either in the way that they approach the game, they approach training, like, have you noticed anything that stands out with, with the next generation of players? Yeah. I think the thing that stands out to me is just the, the exorbitant amount of knowledge that they come in with. Um, You know, there's so many things out there now and it's not just social media. It's, you know, good, effective research. It's, it's college programs that are very well put together. It's high school programs that are very well put together. It's high school kids that have these strength coaches or hitting gurus or, or pitching gurus that really know what they're talking about and, and that are very good. So when guys come in and they say, well, this is what I've been doing. It's not like 10 years ago when you get the high school kid in who never lifted before and who's just, you know, very good because he's very talented. And then you get this guy who hardly knows how to do a goblet squat and you've got to teach him how to do every little thing. Now you're getting guys in with a pretty solid training age, which is good and bad in some senses. It's great from the standpoint of we can really hit the ground running and I don't have to sit here and spend a lot of time explaining to you the etiquette and and the small little details of what being in the weight room is like. But the drawback is that we're getting these guys and their training age is already five, six, seven, eight years old. Um, And so there's a lot of miles on those tires at this point too. So now getting them in, making adjustments based on the volumes that they have already accomplished in their career is a little bit different than getting a guy in who doesn't have hardly any volume in his career. And so there's some, some differences in those things. And I won't say one is more so challenging than the other. They're just a little bit different. And nowadays the amount of knowledge and base that these players are coming in with is a lot higher than it was when I first came into the game. Brian, would you, would you agree with that assessment? Like when you came in, did you already have that solid foundation of lifting and having a regimented routine and everything? Yes and no. I mean, I, I enjoyed working out and, and lifting. I, w- I wouldn't say I had like the correct routine. It was working for me at the time. It was making me strong, but I, I think I was, like I said, more just like bodybuilder, you know, like not, not like a professional athlete probably should be lifting. I wasn't doing the deadlifts. Uh, I wasn't squatting as much as I, as I should have been things like that. And all the other plyometrics are things that Morgan talked about too, but yeah, I mean, going to college definitely, I think gives people an edge or, you, you know, you get used to the workouts, but um, nowadays I think in general too, yeah, it's just the kids who are that talented kind of understand or are put in that position by their parents or whatever that, you know, they go to a, a strength coach before 
or outside of school or whatever it is to, you know, help. So it's definitely changing in those, in those aspects. And, to, and that's a really good point too, is the, like what, like I was saying, the type of knowledge out there is a little bit different. Um, when, when I know when I was coming up, you know, websites like stack.com and T nation and things like that, you're finding these workouts and they are more um, traditional walk into the weight room and lift weights and then walk out of the weight room and just be done. And now people have an avenue to find out, you know, there, there are so many different, you know, social media outlets out there. There's so many different um, videos out there that connect baseball with strength conditioning before I ever meet these players. And so that, I think that's kind of a difference that, that Brian is alluding to. It's not that, you know, he was the only ever meathead that comes in there. There's plenty, there was plenty of people who came in and says, well, I like to do chest and triceps on this day and back and biceps on this day. And then every fifth week I'll do legs and then we'll go about it, you know, um, the same way for, for the next six months. And now people are coming in and they, they've got these routines that are specifically tailored towards whether they're good or good or not. I've seen the, the, I've seen a good bit of both. These routines are specifically tailored towards them as baseball players. And I think that's the difference where, from where it is that I'm starting. I'm starting from a place where this player is already coming in, doing these workouts geared towards him as a baseball player and not just geared towards him as a human saying, I want to look this way, or I want to just be strong in this way. It's all about, you know, this is the type of player I am, and this is the way that my program works. And then that's where I go from. And that's why it's so important for me to get on the same page with this player and for the organization to, to meet the player where he is. Because if we just try to bring everybody to one place of the program, some people are going to be beyond that. Some people aren't going to be even be to that yet. Uh, and, and it might work out for some people. But if we're able to meet every player where they are, that's going to give us more of an opportunity to reach more people where reach more people at the stage that they are and, and help improve them from that point. Yeah, absolutely. This is so this is actually one of my favorite things I was like looking forward to asking you about is the fact that like baseball players, it's like baseball is a sport is interesting because athletes come in all shapes and sizes. They have guys who are like me who are like 5'10", 160, like Corbin Carroll. I think him and I have the same size biceps, which is great. Um, and then where you just have like an Aaron Judge guy who's like 6'7", 280. And everything in between. So, like, how do you like find a balance? Because obviously, baseball is about strength, but it's also about like functional functional mobility. Like, do you think that being too strong would, would be a hindrance when playing baseball? Like, you know, just doing biceps would that would that not equate to, to baseball success? You think? Well, I think there are some people who who deal very well with it, and I think it'll go back. And I know it sounds very cheesy and folksy for me to say it's very different for everybody, just like you you said. Um, there are some people out there who play perfectly fine and who are great at, at a smaller and with a smaller frame. And some people it wouldn't work very well with. If you tried to make uh, Corbin Carroll like Aaron Judge, you know, that might present its problems. And if you tried to make Aaron Judge like Corbin Carroll, it's obviously not going to be conducive for how he plays. I think it's important that we don't look at and, and I think scouting is getting away from this too saying all right right fielders this is how they profile out you know they need to be six two um this much weight they need to hit for this much power and they need to do this and you know first baseman they all need to be you know move on slash andres galarraga size and they all need to to hit 30 to 50 home runs in a year i think we're getting away from that and we're seeing that in lineups nowadays right look at a philly look at the phillies lineup we have kyle schwarber the nl leader in home runs hitting leadoff you know, and then you've got 
different things happening in different lineups because these are more predicated on the individual and what it is they bring to the field, the team, the, the, the success of the organization themselves and not just where it profiles are. We have to have our 240 pound guy hitting cleanup. We have to have our 165 pound guy hitting leadoff. It's very variable. And so I think it's important that we look at it that way, right? We can't just get in players and say, all right, you know, this guy's 6'2", 170 pounds. He has to be 195 to play in the big leagues. That's not the case. We have to do a, a very regular and constant needs assessment to him as a baseball player and how it looks on the field and how it projects out as successful in the major leagues. And then constantly reassess this as we're moving along in every program that he's doing, whether it be his hitting program, his throwing program, running, strength, conditioning, athletic training, mental performance, nutrition, all this type of stuff. It has to be based on this particular guy and what will be most successful for him and not what has just been most successful for people in his position in the past. I think we're getting away from that as a, as an industry and as a sport. And what we're finding are six, seven, 260 pound, you know, people who can play center field, who can hit 50 home runs in a year. And we're understanding that the structures that we put around the player, that's what limits the player. But when we take those structures off of the player and we say, all right, you know, you as an individual, what can you accomplish based on the things that we see, based on the knowledge base of the people around you? I think that opens up a little bit more room for that player to move forward than to just say, all right, you know, you are 5'11", 190 pounds, and that profiles you out this way. And that's where, that's who you are. And that's where you're going to be. And then we push this guy to the side and say, the next guy, you know, you're 6'2", 260 pounds, this is all you're going to be able to do in this game. So that's, that's you. I think we're getting away from that. And what we're finding is people are a lot more versatile. They're a lot more malleable. They're a lot more, um, you know, they're able to recover from a lot more. The, you know, the human body, the human bandwidth is, we just haven't gotten to the end yet. We haven't gotten to how far it is we can go forward with these guys. And that's what's starting to happen is these players are getting so versatile. They're getting so good. They're getting so strong. They're getting so fast. They're throwing so hard that the game's demands are just rising and rising and rising. I think that's also part of the reason why we don't see guys playing 162 games regularly anymore. I think that's part of the reason why injuries are what they are. It's not because of, you know, any one particular thing or, or, necessarily it's because the demands of the game are so high everything's so much faster and everything the stress of it and the leverage of it is so much higher that you you're going you're going to run into that type of thing when you start increasing the levels of those those facets one of the things that i've always found so fascinating is that like guys can be so successful who are real thin like especially some of these pitchers like really long whippy like how do you work with guys who are, you know, on the thinner side to make sure that they can be the best version of themselves, but also like the injury factor, because you're right, durability probably is a thing when, you know, there's not a lot of meat on the bone there. So how, how would you approach working with a guy who's, you know, could, could stand to add a few pounds? Yeah, I think everybody has their optimal, their optimal way to, to play uh, and their optimal way to play the healthiest. So when preparation and strength and mobility and your ability to accomplish all of the, the movements that you're going to need to on the baseball field all meet, that's 
going to be where it is that they're going to be most successful. When strength exceeds their their propensity to to move their joints in a mobile fashion, and when strength exceeds what they're able to do on the baseball field, that's a tough spot to be in. So like we talked about earlier with me just working in a vacuum, if I just say this guy needs to get stronger, he just needs to get stronger, he needs to get stronger, and none of this other stuff moves up with it, now we're leaving this person into a, a place uh, where where he's more vulnerable to injury. Same thing with what he's doing on the baseball field. If we start to move what it is he's doing to a, a different level and we don't keep the strength and mobility up with it, then we're leaving him in a vulnerable spot. So these guys that are they're real thin that you're seeing, I think one of the misconceptions about sport in general is that uh, bigger means stronger. And that is not, not the case, right? It's, it's hard to say that, um, you know, every, you can look at Jacob deGrom, for example, and say, well, this guy probably can't bench press as much as, uh, you know, Michael Lorenzen can. Well, that's very true, but he also expresses strength in a different way. So that's, I think, the important thing for us to look at as, as baseball professionals, as, as performance staff, is that the, the strength that you express isn't always pushing a weight in a certain way or isn't always in the weight room. But throwing a ball 100 miles an hour is an expression of strength, and we have to respect that. And then we have to do what, what it is that we can do as a staff to foster that healthily for, for games on end, for months on end, and then for years on end, especially as these contracts get bigger and bigger and longer and longer, we've got to find a way to be able to, to help this person express the strength that we want on and on down. So I think it's important for fans as they're looking at these, these guys on TV and they see the rail thin guy that we all think of, and this, if this guy gained some weight, he would be a lot better. And, and I know I've heard this a lot in my career is as soon as we draft a guy, this guy needs to be this guy needs to be at least 20 more pounds of muscle. But I think it's important that we look at what it is this guy's trying to do, what the, and really try to get to where optimal is for him in all those facets that we talked about, and then try to capture that and how it is we can find that groove and continue to challenge this player within all of those aspects. And as we move forward, and as we talked about the 15-year major leaguer, we still want to challenge this player every single day challenge them from a hitting standpoint, challenge them from a pitching standpoint, challenge them from a strength conditioning standpoint, challenge them from a mobility standpoint. But it doesn't mean that we're necessarily trying to change the profile of who he is versus the guy who we just drafted. We may be trying to change the profile of who this guy is, but still challenging this player within the realm of what he's capable of and the, the bandwidth of what he can handle at the time, I think is important to keeping those guys um, relatively healthy for for the time until they're up into that point where they're making little changes and not big sweeping changes. I love that. I, I'm going to borrow that. Anytime somebody, you know, gets on me about, you know, how thin I am, I say, well, I express my strength in a different way. So yeah, exactly. I, I appreciate that. So I'm for Absolutely. sure going to be using that every single time. Um, there's a, there's a lot of baseball players out there who I can out bench press, who can hit a baseball farther than me. Brian's one of those people. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, it's sticking with durability though. And, and Brian can probably jump in on this one too. Like the dog days of August, like of summer, you know, the, it gets hot. These guys get tired, get worn down. Like how do you change your approach with these guys as the season goes on? I think, well, you know, not to continue to belabor the same point. I think it's very individual. Um, and I know that seems like a cop-out answer and in, in a certain way that in certain ways it is, I think that's why it's so important for the staff to be, in it with the players, right? 
the ups and downs of the season, the wins, the losses, the traveling and everything like that. It's so important for the staff to be involved with that and the players and to, to not lose sight of what's happening on the field. I think the more and more that we set the program early in the year and say, this is what's going to happen all throughout the year. And, 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 you know, I know in April what my program is going to be like in August and September. I think that's where we start getting in trouble with the durability aspect of things, but being able to be malleable as the performance staff and the player understanding that things change based on, you know, 13 inning games based on, you know, the other day we had a five hour rain delay. Um, and then we get into to the city a little bit later at night and making sure that we're able to keep, never lose touch with the player, never lose touch with what's happening on the field. Then that allows for all of the staff, those people around the players. So if the player's in the middle and you've got the hitting staff, the, the managers, the managers over here, the fielding staff, the athletic trainer, the strength conditioning coach, the dietitian, the middle performance coach, if we're all on the same page with what this player is going through personally, and then we're able to extrapolate that out 26 times to the various players, then we can make program adjustments that are more fitting to the situation and circumstance and who this player is and what this player is trying to do for the rest of the season, because not everybody's doing the same thing, right? I'm not going to treat a reliever who throws two times a week, the same as the, the starting right fielder who plays six times a week. So understanding where these people are individually and then making constant program changes. And I think while we're making constant program changes, it's important that we always speak with the player with, how it is we're feeling, what changes we need to make, and then being open to that. The worst thing that I can do as a strength coach is impose my ego onto what it is the player's doing. So if the player says, well, today's not a great day for me to lift because of these reasons. And then I go, well, you know, I'm, you're in the weight room. This is in the strength coach. It's time for you to lift. I had you on schedule lift. That's what we're doing. I think that's the, the, the struggle point that a lot of people have gotten to before, but that I really try not to get to uh, because again, it helps the player stay engaged because the player understands that I'm on their side. I'm on his side. And, and like we said, it's not they versus organization. I'm not representation of the organization. I'm not representation of the player. We are all representation of one organization's direction towards winning. And to me, a lot of that has to do with how the player feels and how the player feels they're going to feel the strongest the next day, the next game, the next inning, the next pitch, and all these things. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, Brian, if you, know, if you want to jump in on and just like talk about like, you know, as the season goes on, you know, injuries start to, you know, things start nagging. Like, how, how do you change your routine individually based on, you know, how long the season goes and how, you know, how hot it is? I feel like that's another thing too, where it's like, you know, I probably don't want to be doing a whole bunch of, like certain things when it's 110 degrees outside, like how, how do you approach that from the player side? Yeah, I think having, or were you asking Brian or were you asking? Oh, you can jump in. Yeah. Or I think if Brian has internet. Still yeah, Brian, there. go ahead. I think it's, it's, uh, it's, de it's definitely different year to year in how, in, in how I'm feeling. And this year has been different from the past for a few reasons. One, my, my, as Morgan knows, my quad was bothering me for a good part of the beginning of the year. So we were staying away from certain lifts that whole time. Um, and now, you know, I play every day. And I, so that 
sometimes now it's taken away from what I'm doing in the weight room because I am, I'm just, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little bit tired <laughs> after, after 120 games or whatever it is so far. And that doesn't mean you stop lifting though. So I still, you know, I still get my workouts in one thing I, that we talked about earlier this year that I've, I've stuck with is uh, I've been lifting after games, which I never used to do because um, I liked working out before games. When, when the game's over, I'm kind of like, that's my day's done. I don't really like to do more things usually, but it's uh, it's let me see kind of how I'm feeling and where I'm at and base the workouts intensity or whatever, a little bit better from that way. But here on the road, unlike uh, in, especially in the big leagues, but in AAA too. Um, the hotel, they have a, a hotel room that's cleared out, like no beds or anything, and they have like weights in there. So that would be where my workout is on the road here, which uh, is a little bit tougher. So I've been doing very light lifts randomly on the road as opposed to home. I get my full stuff in, but uh at the end of the day, the most important thing is for me to be ready to play and to be healthy. So, you know, now the, the older I've gotten, I feel I feel like it's I try to try to stay on schedule. But at the same time, it's it's kind of a how am I feeling each day instead of just like, you know, when I was younger, I might be like, oh, well, back doesn't feel too good today, but I'm still going to fucking deadlift 400 pounds before the game. So see what happens. So I've gotten better at that. Don't lie to everybody. You can't deadlift 400 pounds. <laughs> roll out of bed and deadlift 400 pounds, Jay. You, you can thank <laughs> that guy right there. He's the one who got me, got me to do it. That's, that's lightweight. I think, I think that's a pretty good point too, that you make is one of the things also that was, in my head early in my career is being able to show the organization that players were getting stronger, being able to show the organization that players were constantly coming into the weight room. I'm much less fixated on that now. It's, I want, I want a world championship ring. I know that um, the players want a world championship ring. I know that the organization wants a world championship ring. And if, if that means that, like Brian said, that the important thing is that the, the manager has, the whole team healthy every day to, to be able to play. Now, obviously that's a pipe dream the entire season because, you know, going an entire season without one injury, you know, just seems, seems impossible. I don't think anything is impossible, but it seems impossible. But, you know, if I get caught up in, well, I have to show the organization that people are coming in to lift. I have to show the organization that I can get guys stronger. I have to show the organization that I have buy-in. Then I'll start to lose sight of that exact thing that Brian's talking about, that players do get tired, that it does get hot. Um, that this season does get stressful and that, that things do wear on players. And if I lose sight of that for my own personal ability to show the organization that we can do one thing or the other thing, then I'm, I'm losing, I'm, I'm fracturing that concept of, of being on the same page with the player. I'm fracturing the concept of, of having the player's interest in, in the very first place in my mind. And so that's uh, a very important thing for me is, not to get too caught up into, like I said, my ego and what I want to be able to show that we got more lifts in and that we got stronger as a team than ever before and that I'm the most valuable thing ever. Because at the end of the day, yeah, strength coaches are just like a lot of people, right? I want a contract. I want 
you know, to be successful, you know, whatever that may be, if that's years on a contract or money or notoriety or whatever it is. But ultimately, I would trade a world championship ring over any of that stuff. I would trade multiple world championship rings over all of it. And so making sure that making the same concessions for those players that he's talking about, understanding where we are in the season, what the what the temperature is like, what the travel was like, what this particular ballpark is like, the, the things that he's having to deal with, with having just a weight room in a hotel room on, on the road. You know, I get that in the major leagues, we don't have those types of um, restrictions quite as much, but still there's, there are places where guys don't like to lift more than others. And there are places where guys don't want to come to the field earlier than, than others. And I think it's important to understand those things so that we can make the, the program changes and on the day, the program changes for the week or the, the cycle that we need to make that best benefit the player. Love that. Uh, I had a question about like social media and the way it's impacted just fitness and your job in general. Um, you know, I, I feel like as a fan, it makes me feel good knowing that like in the off season, I see my, you know, guys on my team doing like the box jumps and they put it on Instagram. Cause I'm like, Oh, these guys are putting in the work. These are, these guys are getting after it. Like, how have you seen that evolve over your time there? And also like the motivational fitness aspect of it too. I feel like that's the other thing on social media where it's like, I feel like everybody has like these, you know, these motivational, you know, things that they, they try to put out there. But um, can, can you talk about how you've seen social media impact your, your day-to-day job? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the largest things that's different is that each player kind of has his own brand, whether or not he, he realizes it or not. Um, those things that players put out on social media – it goes to what people perceive about that player. Um, just like you talked about, you know, you watch a guy do, you know, 15 seconds of box jumps and you think, oh, this player's getting after it. And so I think that's, that's one of the things too, is, is we have a window into what these players are doing, but it's a very small window. So making sure that we don't look at that as that's how this player is, or that's what this player is doing, trying to stay on the same page of, the 360 degree view of what it is this player is really doing uh, is probably one of the more important things. That, and I think as social media evolves and social media gains, continues to gain um, ground on, on the world today, uh, I, I get all the questions and, and people send me videos of what do I think of this exercise, what do I think of that, that way of doing things. And so what it has done is it's just taught me a lot. I think we can use it multiple different ways. Either I can be resistant to it and say, all right, everything that I see is trash and I don't want to look at any of this stuff. And then the players are looking at this stuff and then I'm sitting here trying to convince them against what it is they're looking or I can lean into it. And I, I, I think there's probably a middle ground there, but I choose to lean into it a little bit more. And so when I, I, I I'll always get reels from players, from coaches of, or, you know, this is someone that I really look up to or that I really like. What do you think of this? And the worst thing I can do is just say, well, that's trash or that's stupid. And I think the, the largest thing that we can do as a, as a staff is to lean into it and say, okay, what about this guy do they like? They like the fact that this guy is just jacked and that's what they want to do. Or do they really think that what he's doing is going to help them performance-wise? And so making sure I unpack that not only with the player, but with the, the page that he sent me and, and really dive into it then that helps us have a better conversation. And then we can kind of find a good common ground to move forward from whether or not we're going to start utilizing some of these aspects or not. That's very well said there. Thank you. Social media is crazy shit nowadays, but we're uh, 
thanks, dude, for, for doing all this. I really appreciate it. I know you're talking a whole lot. I have one more thing that I got to ask you before J.A. hits you with the rapid fire and we let you yeah. get it, get on your day and get ready to beat the Marlins. But uh, J.A., Morgan um, is, a, is a chess player and had a pretty um, well-known chess opponent during his days in Cincinnati guy named Joey Votto. And uh, so they would play all the time. And I just got to know, Morgan, have you found somebody in Philadelphia to play chess against yet? I I have not, to be honest with you. I have not played uh, since that time. Uh, Joey is my only friend on chess.com. And uh, to be honest with you, I think I've only beaten him twice. And the only time, so Joe, Joey, and I, man, I hope he, I hope he watches this because Joey's a bully when it comes to chess. He'll play you in a five minute game, which is like rapid fire chess. Joey doesn't make a lot of mistakes when it comes to that type of stuff. And so he just bullies you into making a bad decision. The only times I've ever beat him is when I make it a 30 minute game and then take two to three minutes to, to move. And he just gets kind of bored and he, then he makes a blunder. And then I, then I've won. I think that's the only times I've ever beaten him, but I'm not actually very good at, at chess, although I do love it. Um, but yeah, he, he was pretty good. I've not found anyone here yet. Unfortunately, I get a little bit afraid because somebody goes, Oh, you're good at chess. I'm really good. I want to play you. It's like, Oh, if you're, if you're telling me you're really good, then, you know, I'm not going to just play you and you're telling me you're really good. I know I'm going to get, get, get crushed. So I need to find somebody. Actually, you know what? I need to play the computer a couple of times and then get back to it. That's what I need to do. There you go. I'll uh, I'll hop on from Japan and, and we can we can play against each other because I have no idea what I'm doing. So you can feel yeah, better about yourself. I'll, I'll do build that my for confidence you. against you. That sounds like yeah. a good idea. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to Jay. You'll have to tag Joey Votto in that so that Joey knows he's a bully in, in chess and he's really hurting Morgan's feelings. Can't can't have that. It's really not nice. I'm just excited. Yeah, just thinking about a, a Joey Votto chess match. I mean, I, that guy, he seems like, you know, like a really good, like, intellectual, like, you know, you know, every move is always very calculated and everything he does. So, you know, him playing chess must be, that must be a sight to, to behold. Yeah, I tell you, one of the great things about that man is he's very consistent um, with, with a lot of things like that. And he doesn't leave many stones unturned. And so I think that's one of the reasons why he, he has been as successful as he has and will be as successful as he will be uh, once he comes back from this injury is that no stone goes unturned. And that was one of the fun parts about working with him is that, you know, there was, there was questions and there was, there was conversations about different things. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's ever thought, Oh, I have it all figured out. I know exactly the answer. And so constantly moving forward is how he's been able to stay in this game as it's changed so much over the past you know, 15 plus years that he's been in it. And I think that's, what's going to keep him in it for, you know, past 20 years. Ah, that's the best. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I had a couple of quick, you know, rapid fire type questions. Yeah. Um, you know, you actually, one of them you mentioned, because like you mentioned guys sending you stuff on social media, who are some of the people that you think on social media do it right in terms of fitness that like you, you get sent their, their stuff multiple times. And you're like, you know what, this, this actually is pretty good stuff. Yeah, well, I'll mention two people. Um, one of them would be, I would have to go with Cova Sports. I think they do a pretty good job. And that's TJ Antone, uh, one, of, one of Brian's old teammates. And um, 
I think that, uh, and Jeremy Kivel as well, and I think they do a great job of, of mixing in not only uh, real life examples of major leaguers or minor leaguers doing things that they, um, that they kind of preach and then they add in the fitness side of things as if to show how, how important of a facet it is. And it doesn't leave fitness on one island or just baseball on the other island. They really bring the two together. Um, so I really enjoy looking at, uh, looking at their stuff. And then to be honest with you, there's a uh, javelin thrower out there named Johannes Vetter. And I think he breaks a lot of the concepts of what people think are good and what people think are just crazy, stupid things to do that are definitely going to get you injured. And he shows that that kind of stuff can be done with and really help your performance. The, the progressive overload when it comes to working out, the um, type of stress he puts on himself from the training standpoint, um, the fact that he's always constantly trying to find different ways to do things that that may not seem popular. I think uh, he's a guy that I was shown by our current pitching coach with the Phillies. And, um, you know, it's someone that I follow. I don't follow a lot of people, um, but he's someone that I follow because I'm going to see something that I've never seen before. And then I'm going to have to ask myself, you know, how would that help or, or how does that do anything uh, for him? And I know that he's not a baseball player, but, you know, and obviously the the obvious ways of how javelin throwing and baseball throwing could be similar, I think are there, but there's so many differences. I think the biggest thing that it shows is that we haven't figured out the way to do things yet. Um, and so for, for not only watching Johannes Vetter's reels and videos, people like Ido Portal, they kind of break the mold of what it is uh, the human body can do and gets you outside of the structure of that box that we were talking about. And then you think, well, maybe how can I expand on that? Or how can this help or that help? And so I try not to stick with just baseball people and how that works. I try to get outside of that because I don't think that just everybody in baseball has figured it out yet, me included. And so I think there's farther that we can dig and finding out what other answers, possible answers could be. I like that. The check, yeah, TJ. We've had TJ on this podcast. He's the best, and following Kova Sports is, is very, very cool. The, the stuff that they put out. So I'm definitely going to go check out the, the javelin thrower as well. Um, favorite parts of your job? Like, what do you, what do you enjoy day to day about what you do? Uh, I enjoy working with the player. Uh, just being in, being with the players. It could be in the weight room. It could be on the field. It could be in the dugout. Whatever it is, being with the players in that environment. I I can't imagine anything anything better than that. I always tell people I wish that they scan that we were playing 300 games in a year. And I know that sounds dumb from an injury standpoint, but just from a fun standpoint, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm having, uh, if, if a player and I are having a discussion, if we're, if we're working together in the weight room, if I'm standing in the dugout, watching the baseball game, being with the, the guys in the day, um, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. You know, as the season happens, the ups and downs, wins, losses, you know, the seven in a row wins and the four in a row losses, you know, yeah, it sounds fun to think that we can go 162 and 0, but the whole peaks and valleys of the season being with the players, that's the part of my job that I would never trade. I love that more than anything. And um, I, I just, I could do it forever. Absolutely. Uh, so how much can you bench? What's your max bench? What are we talking? Uh, my max bench is three, 
40 is what I've, what I've ever gotten. I'd say right now I'm probably closer to the 325 to 330 range. I don't bench press as much. I've started actually um, probably doing more legs than anything um, because I, for some reason I just love the, that leg soreness feeling. So um, yeah, I've kind of taken my foot off of the bench press gas pedal, but I can still get 320, 3, 325, 330 up there. I uh, haven't done it in a while. I've been more on the volume train lately. Yeah, that's that's roughly what mine is. So yeah, what what about you, Brian? Figured, so. Yeah. Morgan's Morgan's more of a he's kind of a, he like he likes CrossFit things like I that do. to challenge himself right. now. So he's not as much as just the uh, you know the dead uh, bench as much as I possibly can, guy Morgan. That's, that's Morgan's challenge. He's a nut. I don't know how he does it. He's, he makes me do the rower and shit like they all do. And I can't, I can't my back hurts immediately, but it is a good workout <laughs> bench. I haven't, I haven't, uh, Morgan, when's, I don't know. I don't know. Last time I, I barbell benched, it's been dumbbells yeah. for, I, I, my shoulder mobility is not great. That's where So it is. typically if, um, if I use the barbell as opposed to dumbbells, I'll get more sore. Like I'm just not in a, the best position for me to be in. So I usually stick to dumbbells. Yeah. But the good news is Brian, that you're still pretty strong with those dumbbells and that, that's the good, good part. But yeah, his, his shoulder mobility is not the strong suit of, of his athletic capabilities. So having the dumbbells being able to move in different, different ways, rather than sticking his uh, range of motion with a, with a bar going in one direction, being able to turn the dumbbells and things like that is just going to help help him out a little bit more in, in sustaining that strength. But yeah, Jay, what's your bench press max, man? Uh, so, you know, the, the planet fitness life is, uh, I don't really have a spotter a lot. So I, I usually just, I usually don't do regular, don't like, don't like a you know, regular bench. I usually go to the Smith machine so it doesn't drop on my throat and kill me. Um, so yeah, you know, we're getting there, you know, roughly th- I mean, yeah, the low threes. No, um, I don't know. I, I would, I would like any, do you have like a printout from like, is, is there like a generic workout program that you have? Is there like generic workout program number one that I could have at some point? Well, if I told you there was a generic program, everybody watching this podcast would say, man, this guy's full of shit because he just talked about, he just spent the whole time talking about being individualized. Well, and he yeah. says, yes, to the thing. So I don't know if that was a trap question, but um, I tell you, it's easy enough to piece one together. I promise you that. And uh, for, for what it is you're trying to do. So as Brian knows, I can turn them out pretty quick. Yeah, I just I've been doing the peanut butter sandwich thing. It's you know keeping weight on is a problem. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm like you know 144 on a good day, 145, and then it's just like if I if I have a bad weekend where I forget to, I'm not a big eater. That's the thing. It's I don't know okay. if you've encountered dudes that just don't enjoy eating. I don't. Absolutely, there uh, we have we have people who play major league baseball every day who do not like eating. I told I had a player the other day tell me he doesn't like fillet, he doesn't like steak, so. <laughs> You know, it, everyone's there. Everyone's their own, got their own preferences. Yeah. So I'm trying to get better at that. But yeah, it's it's tough because, you know, I, it's like I'm fighting an uphill battle just to maintain. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to talk offline about that because I, w- I would love to stop losing weight if that would be if that would be a thing. Yeah, we can we can make that happen. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, I'm for sure taking you up on that. The last question I had, um, what's the best piece of advice you ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received is, um, like we talked about earlier, was was um, to not say no, to not say no to opportunities. Um, and 
to be honest with you, that that's not that's not necessarily an easy thing to always do, to always be open because you know sometimes people are going to ask things of you that you that I I may not feel are within my job or that I may not feel comfortable doing, um, but it's really kind of helped me be able to see a lot of different parts of not only the world of baseball but the world in general, and it's kind of opened my mind to. Um, the fact that I don't have all of the answers and that I don't know everything. And so being able to wrap my mind around the possibilities that there are more possibilities than I can even imagine has opened me up to, to meeting a lot of great people, being a lot of great circumstances to being a lot of times where, you know, I'm struggling or, or meeting people that, that I don't jive quite as well with. And all those have given me a perspective, I think that have led me to where I am at this point. Um, and that's kind of a, the, one of the bigger things that I would, um, to tell people is the more you're resistant to, the more you're willing to say no to things, the more facets of life in this world that will be closed off for you. Um, and so I think that's one of the things I strive to do is really rarely or never, I try never to just flat say no, um, and really consider every aspect of certain things before it is I answer things and try to be open to every single thing, every single possibility. Um, one of my favorite sayings uh, and get a little philosophical on you guys is de omnibus dubitandum, which is Latin for doubt everything. And so it seems kind of, you know, pessimistic in a sense to doubt everything. But I think what they're just saying is that you really want to unpack everything. Why is this the way it is, or why do people believe this type of thing? And then trying to find my own relationship with what those things are. I think that's, you know, one of the, the ways I predicate my life uh, upon, like one of my core values. And that's going to be the thing that I continue to, to remain, that will continue to remain one of my largest core values so that I'm never closed off to anything and that everything is a possibility. And that will help me find different answers and more answers to, to various questions that I continue to ask myself on a daily basis. And a philosopher too, on top of strength coach hey, and, nutritionist and everything else. Yeah. Morgan, Dan, thank you so much. It's been great having you on here and God, a lot of people are going to be smarter after hearing this and listening to you talk. So I really appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. It was uh, it was nice to see you and talk to you again, man. I miss you. I know it's it's been a while, and hopefully, hopefully we run into each other in, in real life here at some point. I know we get to talk a lot, but I don't get to see you very much. Yeah, man, I appreciate you guys. This has been so much fun. Uh, you know, Brian, obviously, it's been it's been great to to see and talk to you again. Jay, it's been awesome talking with you, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. So